You know, Oz, I've been thinking lately. I mean, it's World Cup qualifying going on. That's been all the talk during the break from club soccer and everything. Some country really getting to the business end. World Cup qualifying is only for like another month or two. Several teams have qualified. Uh, some teams are struggling, some aren't. But it's really interesting to see how they're going. Yeah. Um, but just the, the, you know, the whole news and everything of World Cup qualifying obviously gets me thinking about the World Cup. And next year <laughs> next year i know we're i think less than 250 days away i think wow. if i if we i remember correctly. started counting them down i know i know in russia yeah. and uh, some teams already qualified and second spot teams will yeah. have um like playoffs playoffs some teams are going for playoffs second place in europe fourth place in north america fifth place in south america you know all that yeah um but this thought this thinking of the world cup just uh, it got me thinking of past World Cups, thinking of great games, great games for the U.S. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think most American soccer fans' minds that we've talked about it on the podcast before, that that time when Landon Donovan scored against Algeria in the last minute to send them through and how, how that just ignited the imaginations of a whole country you know, you what we can do where oh, i was i was like i said i think i think i told you i can't remember i was at a camp yeah soccer camp remember. right yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we all watched the game together um but that, not even that just must that. be the best though like everybody are Everyone. interested in soccer yeah at a camp exactly you're already getting so close friends with each other yeah everyone like knew soccer so we could talk about it and every during how the many, game how many kids were at the camp i don't remember, remember. i don't remember several tens or so maybe around 100 total or something wow in that room there's a couple of rooms so in that room it was, which was pretty packed there's maybe 30 or so yeah just in that room that's cool including all my closest friends that I went to the camp with but not even just u.s games too but i mean i think of the in that world cup for me the most memorable game of that tournament was for me uh i don't know how many people remember the game between ghana and uruguay in like a quarterfinal where Suarez handballing it on the line, yeah. a Ghana goal. He gets red carded, of course, yeah. and then Ghana, uh, Asmola Gian, Gian missed man. the penalty. Oh, man. <laughs> then I mean, if he would score, they would go through, through, right? Yep, that's right. But oh he missed, God. unthinkably, and then it goes to penalty shootout, and Uruguay won a penalty. So that was just the most dramatic. I love those dramatic sort of True. games like that. True. And just, uh, just all this World Cup atmosphere, qualifying atmosphere, just got me thinking about stuff like that. Mm. So just, I mean, the same with you. Do you frequently think about past world cups and think about you know biggest memories or so i do man i do and i know that each world cup will have its own magic yeah. that will leave a mark on us right. you know Good. and uh, 2002 was great 2006 was great 2010 had its, its own charm right and even 2014 with big surprises too um but for me man i i skipped school mm. in sixth grade to watch world cup i i I, <laughs> I um i mean i didn't skip too many classes it's not like that you know but i remember this one time that i always remember your studies <laughs> <laughs> dude we're talking about world cup here both sweden and turkey are yeah. playing in the world cup and is in um, japan and south korea so right. the time difference is in sweden you know, it's like uh, 
it's backwards, right? I believe it's nine hours, so it's uh, if it's evening games in Southeast Asia, it's daytime in Sweden, mm. and uh, obviously you want to watch, you know, Sweden play against Argentina. They were in the deadly, the yeah, deadliest group, group death, you yeah. know, the group death. They were had Argentina, they had uh, England, England right? and Nigeria. I, I believe so. Yeah. 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 So, you know, wow, what a games, you know what I mean? But one afternoon, me and my friend skipped the class because the, one of the classrooms had a TV, right? So we kind of sneaked into it and we opened the channel and on the TV, it was Turkey playing Brazil. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's uh, right there. I was like, I ain't going to any class right yeah. now. You know, are you kidding me? Like nobody knows we here. And wow, now let's watch this. And I believe we opened it when it was like twenty fifth minute or so. And uh, um, I still remember it so clear to this day. Like the feeling I had, the joy I had when Yildra Bashtrik made that pass above over the top of the Brazilian defenders and bounced once oh, yeah, yeah. and Hassan Shash on first touch really hard just hit it yeah and the half volley half yeah, volley nice. and this guy didn't even celebrate it man like yeah. he didn't even celebrate it and I was screaming so loud I was, I was so pumped and made me so happy right so we I couldn't go back so we actually went to his place he lived pretty close to school and as we uh, we turned the TV on um, it was already as we turned the TV on the 1-1 one, one goal get, came for Brazil and it was uh, I don't really remember this back then but when you look at it now it's pretty amazing goal it is revolved on the left side with the perfect, it's a perfect cross, you can hit it in, that Ronaldo is running in oh, between yeah. two defenders, yeah. from himself, touches the ball, just a touch, and bounces and goes in, you know what I mean? But it was such a precise cross and run, yeah. and uh, collaboration between these two players, and that's what this Brazil team had. Janinho. Rivaldo, there's Ronaldo! He's off and running! How nice to see that buck-toothed smile of his again! Four years of anguish since that dreadful night in Paris. But now he's back doing what he does best, scoring goals, and it's 1-1. Just had to make contact. They had the rhythm, quality, quality. Ronaldo, exactly. Ronaldo, Ronaldinho. Yes. Uh, they even had. He was young, but I mean, Kaká was on the bench yeah. in that yeah. World Cup. So they had a lot of great players, mm-hmm. right? Cafu, uh, right? Exactly, exactly. And for me, it was uh, I know that Turkey has a good team mm-hmm. because I've been following. Uh, Turkish teams and the national team for a while so I know they have a good team but I'm not capable of understanding how good team they have that tournament 
particularly, right? That tournament particularly, everybody underestimated Turkey. Mm-hmm. Because they already, they have won, you know, the UEFA... UFA final against Arsenal. They won the Super Cup against Real Madrid. They had players that's just started to move abroad to Inter and England. So they had players that about to reach a not the top of their career, but about to get that peak in yeah. their career. All of them, though, you know, what I mean, all of them, everyone they were playing, even Yildirim Bashtrik play for Leverkusen in that final against Real Madrid. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So mm. they had players, right? Mm. Rüştü, that after the World Cup went to Barcelona, they didn't do that good. But he was also in a peak going, right? Mm. Uh, you had two guys. You had Emre and uh, Hakan Şükür. You had good players that made their names in Europe and now they're representing the country. And I remember... Uh, in the game which most people remember from this World Cup and it's actually a shame right like um, an incident on soccer pitch on the football pitch can more or less raise everything that you've done in your career and just make people remember you for this particular sure. incident yeah, yeah. And, unfortunately. Uh, unfortunately right mm. and uh, do you know which one I'm talking about? Well, let's see. That would be the as great as he was, right? Yeah. And I don't think I think people still remember him for being a great player. But it is unfortunate. Rivaldo was he taking a corner kick or a free kick? I think a corner. Yes, corner. Uh, had the ball kicked to him by yeah. a Turkish player. Yeah. And it's I definitely <laughs> made scene. I mean, I wasn't watching soccer at this point. It was I was like. I wasn't into soccer very much at this point, but I know that it made scenes around the world once the ball was kicked to him. I don't know if it even hit him, maybe hit him on his shin or something. I yeah. can't remember. But then he just falls down, clutching his face, right? Yeah. Rivaldo, who's this, he's a legend, he just falls down, clutching his face, trying to, to, you know, feign injury and I guess get the Turkish player sent off, perhaps, which is quite disgraceful. The ball was nowhere near his nowhere face. Nowhere near, It man. wasn't even hit him that hard. It, <laughs> it, that hard. It, it hit his leg and he covered his face and, and the Turkish player down. got a red card. It is a red card. Oh, that's sad. That's sad. He didn't deserve it. He did kick the ball at Rivaldo, but it did not hit Rivaldo in the face. So wild, you know? And even a lot of people remember 2002 World Cup as... You know, the World Cup where the referees were, like, corrupt yeah. or they didn't perform that well, right? You yeah. know, there were so many scandals. Especially in games involving... Uh, not in a lot of games, especially in games involving South Korea. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like the Italy game or Spain game. Uh, and even in this game, right? So you had this red card. Yeah. You know? And um, the second goal for Brazil was... When you look at the replay, it's like one of the most disgraceful or weirdest wrong act from a referee that you can even imagine, you know what I mean? It's like a almost like a one-on-one with the goalie. I think it's Rivaldo. Mm-hmm. One-on-one with the goalie and he's running and Alupai, the Turkish defender, is pulling his jersey. And it's so clear, it's so outside the box. 
Like, uh-huh. It's so outside the box. <laughs> he pulls his jersey, jersey, pulls his jersey, and he falls, like, he trips outside the box, but ends up inside. Yeah. yeah. You know? And the referee goes and gives a penalty, and then he shows Alpai a red card. Are there two red cards in that? <laughs> oh my god, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, dude. Two red cards, two red cards. And both were like, you could give it to the opposite team. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? I mean, it should be a free kick. Okay. And it should be, and it should be red card because it's a gold chance opportunity. Right. But it should be, not be a penalty. Yeah. You know? Fortunately, I've seen those mistakes before. Oh my God. So oh my God. But... And then Ronaldo, Rivaldo scored the penalty too. Yeah, such an amazing, such an amazing clean penalty shot. Mm. Like it goes to Rushtu. That's a poor clearance. And here's Luis Alcaraz back by Alpine. Oh, referee says penalty. He's going through his pocket, and Alpine could be in serious trouble here. He's off. No question that it was the denial of a goal-scoring opportunity. But should it really be a penalty? The bulk of the offence seemed to take place outside the area. But the Korean referee has pointed to the spot. But this is the thing, man. World Cup. For us, me and you, our friends that are listening right now, our other fans that are listening right now, and people that are generally interested in soccer. And for a kid, being that young, 2002, when Hassan Shash scored that goal, that is a feeling that we sometimes even dream about relive again. World Cup have moments, and moments like this gives you such a joy mm. and uh, that's why having Turkey again in the World Cup that's why having Sweden again in the World Cup or even United States in the World Cup that's a dream of us right now yeah. because we want to experience even that one moment with joy or hate we want to have it yeah welcome to the fourth episode of Oz, Koch, and King Soccer Podcast Show. Oh. Oof. <laughs> Chested down by Lucio. Quickly into the tackle was Two Guy. Oh, and here's Hassan Sass with a chance. First half stoppage time, and Turkey take the lead. Brazil contributing to their own downfall but it was a well-executed pass and a good strong finish played in by Bastrug and then lashed in by Hassan Sash delicate touch from the Bayer Leverkusen midfield player rather less delicate from Hassan Sash but it matters not Play for the national team is a pride. You represent your nationality, your nation, your country, and 
entire country is actually back in Iraq. You know, I mean, yeah. you can play for Philadelphia Union, and when you go away to play New Rebels, there is a type of uh, not hate, but you don't like the teams. Right. When the national teams about to play, everybody, no matter what team they are cheering for, they support that yep. team. Yep. As it should be country over club, as a phrase you like to say. Yes. Rather than club over country, support your national team first, the most, and then club second. And when I look at, but. You know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Kerry. But when I look at the U.S. national team, uh, it feels like most of the players in the national team are playing in the MLS. The majority. Right now? Uh, yeah, I think I would give the slight edge. This is a pretty good mix, but I'd give a, a slight edge to to MLS in that regard. Yeah, most of them are I feel MLS. like it. I think so, especially because we have, we've had... Our superstar players that could play in Europe coming back. Bradley, Altidore, Dempsey, Howard, all coming back. Guzan, all coming back nice. to play in MLS. Nice. Uh, so that, 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 yeah, skews it towards MLS. Yeah. Most in MLS. And uh, the biggest star is Christian Pulisic that plays for Borussia Dortmund. Yeah. And we give so much hope to this guy. And we want him to be the savior. But he already is in my life. Eyes. He already is this guy that sh- already shown what he's capable of doing that we can rely on, but we cannot really put too much pressure on him. It's a teamwork, yeah, right? right? And uh, we are going through the qualifications now, and in Europe there are only two games left before the playoff will start. And how many games are left in the this part of the world's qualification? Concacaf. Yes. North America. Uh, same. Two games. Two games left. Oof. Before the fourth place team does a playoff. Mm. As well. So, winding down. Winding down to the business end. Some teams have, uh, like I said in the beginning, some teams are qualified. Some teams in Europe have already qualified, right? Yeah. Spain. I think there's only ones. Right? Yeah, Spain's the only Spain's the only one. ones qualified. Here in North America, Mexico so far is the only one qualified. Belgium. Uh, Belgium, that's right. Belgium, Belgium. Have qualified as well. That's true. Uh, Mexico qualified. I think we have like eight teams that are qualified already. Can you give us a rundown about the standings and the group and what needs to happen for the U.S. team to make it to Russia? So, Mexico's already qualified, like I said. Basically dominated. Costa Rica has dominated second uh, alongside them. They're, I think, three points behind. And just this past game, this last game, the other day, they they tied in Costa Rica 1-1. Okay. Uh, after Costa Rica beat the U.S. here at home, unfortunately, man. Man. Which was a tragedy. Kind of a tragedy. But anyway, um, Costa Rica, if Costa Rica had beaten Mexico, then they would have qualified too. But they just need, like, one more win or one more draw or something, and then they're going to qualify uh, in the next game. Whereas the U.S., mm-hmm. after uh, the last game, Against Honduras, yeah. uh, where they tied away one-one last-minute goal from Bobby Wood. Uh, I mean, save. I mean, it's not a good, but a loss would have been pretty much devastating. I mean, he felt like he saved the game. I mean, he, he saved did. the game. You know, right at the end, with that free kick and rebound. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And I mean, sweaty one, man. <laughs> Which it always is in Concacaf. Always is these tough. 
sweating out grinding games away especially away from home but for, for, for someone outside right mm-hmm. um, or if I can represent fans in Europe that yeah. doesn't know that much yeah. about Con- CONCACAF and this side of the qualification feels like on the paper when you look on the paper US should win against Honduras like Honduras yeah, man like Honduras like, you know like mm. I, I know I, we have probably people in Europe that say wait a minute US have at least chose the Altidore Pulisic yeah. Bradley Clint Dempsey and they have a good squad Honduras what, what do they have yeah. And even, Not even you know, even at teams that uh, sound so easy to beat, you know, like Panama. Yeah. And how hard can it be to make it to the World Cup while we have so many different I, I know. teams? Yeah. What, yeah. What do you have to say about that? Um, here's actually one thing I want to say real fast, which is before, yeah, I know that that's the majority sentiment that's a major sentiment in europe you look at honduras you look at panama and trinidad and be like us mexico easy no problem they should always get through easily yeah uh i'd always say i mean these teams they're not like a belgium even or sweden even but they aren't that bad they're not Liechtenstein. Exactly. Much better than them. Much better than them. Yeah. So that's what that's normally what I'd say. It's like they're better than Liechtenstein or Luxembourg or <laughs> Gibraltar or something. Yeah. But uh, you're right though. The U.S. does have more quality, much more quality. Mm-hmm. And because something that I've come to realize and admit is, even though going away to Honduras or Costa Rica or Panama is actually a lot tougher mm-hmm. than people realize because how hot it is or how the grass. I was looking at the game. The grass was so. Honduras was so thick mm. it was almost like it was barely better than how uh, our team practices our, our girls <laughs> really? team practices <laughs> which is horrible which is, yeah. <laughs> so I mean just the conditions make it so much tougher yeah and that's why I would have said that qualifying in CONCACAF is difficult but I will say though that in Europe it's tougher because of each group just the top team or top two teams out of six in each group whereas here U.S. just has to finish above two teams, which they're better than them. And so that, that, I guess that makes it more forgiving. And how many teams are here? Oh, of uh, 35 or 40, something like that. U- they've, U.S. first plays a group of four. Each team plays a group of four. And then the top two from each group goes to the final round of six. So right now they're in the final round of six. It's like the main round. So it's just one group of six. And the, in the final round of six, only four goes. Four goes, but it's like we're in Europe. Two go, yeah. Two go, yeah. Two go. Um, so I'd say it is more forgiving in that sense, even though it's tougher than people realize. The U.S. There's room for error for teams like the U.S. and Mexico, seeing as they don't have to finish in the top two. Uh, hmm. U.S. currently is in fourth, which isn't good for the U.S. But uh, they have the position now. Yeah, tied. I think we're tied on points with Honduras. But ahead on goal difference, Panama is one point ahead. Uh, but the U.S. plays Panama at home in the next game. So, and like I said, the first two Mexico Costa Rica have the top two spots locked up. So, the U.S. pretty much it don't necessarily have to win out, but to do it comfortably or relatively comfortably, comfortably, we have to be, win our next last two games. I guess Panama and Trinidad 
which Trinidad's last game. Trinidad's last game away. Trinidad away. So winning against Panama puts you two points ahead of Panama. Correct. And um, the worst case would be if U.S. loses against Trinidad and Panama wins. Then that would probably put the U.S. in fourth place. Okay, I see what you're saying. Okay, so this next game is super important. It is. It's super important. Mm. Oof, man. I mean, we make it tough. The U.S., another reason why I will admit that there's room for error in North America because the U.S. has won two games so far in this final round. Two games and they can still qualify. Mm. Two games and I think three losses and two ties or something. No really excuses to miss it, man. Exactly, exactly. So unless we just play god awfully and finish behind Trinidad somehow. What I feel about the European qualification to the World Cup is that it's based on a ranking system when they make the lotteries. Yeah. So that leads to groups that have usually two good teams, like two great teams. Let me say two great teams. Right. Two good teams and some of some blueberry countries, yeah, like Liechtenstein or these countries that we just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And um, if you want to look at the Sweden's group, you have two great teams on the paper on the ranking are France and Netherlands, right? And the two good teams is Sweden and Bulgaria, mm-hmm. and then you have Luxembourg and Belarus, yeah, and you know. On the paper, France is going to win this. Mm. You know, like with that squad they have, you know, they're going to dominate. Yeah. And basically, Sweden, Netherlands, and Bulgaria, they're really fighting for the second position, right? How it looks right now is that France is top of the group with 17 points, Sweden second with 16 points, yeah. and then you have Netherlands with 13, and Bulgaria wait 12 it was huge that sweden was able to get that win over france oh remember yes uh, the segment that was huge that uh they were able to do that was you see how france demolished the netherlands a few days ago right? yeah yeah uh, and the shame was that the sweden lost against bulgaria three to two yeah yeah you know if we would have won that game we would even top the group right now mm which would be amazing like direct qualification to world cup that would wow. be almost yeah that would almost guarantee at least second place exactly which would go to the playoffs exactly and now um now since netherlands are three points behind sweden that's going to be a crucial game they play each other yeah they have time. they're going to play each other the last <laughs> last round yeah going right down to the end yes the last round is going to be on October 10th before that Sweden will play against Luxembourg which will be one which will be an easy game we hope right yeah I mean it will be and Netherlands play against uh, um, what, what they call Belarus so it's a simple game for them too see it comes down to the last game right so uh, a, a tie or a win against Netherlands should keep us uh for Sweden, I think the game against Luxembourg, which should be a win, becomes big because it like a lot of goals. Yeah. But you could easily score several goals against Luxembourg. You can, exactly. Pretty much would would end it for the Netherlands. Even if the Netherlands beat Sweden, they can't make up the goal difference. That's why this surprise this week that happened is really unbelievable for any soccer fans to understand. And I don't know, man, you can maybe make 
video analysis and understand where it all went wrong. But France with players like uh, Griezmann, Giroud, Pogba, um, Lacassette, yeah, you know, you just name it, Lemar. They have a star all the positions and even on the bench. Yeah, actually, Drew. Yeah. <laughs> Against Luxembourg. This was just days after they demolished the Netherlands. Too. Big time. So, I mean, there's no logic in soccer, you know. We love it. Yeah. Griezmann said after that game uh, that the way that Luxembourg play mm-hmm. actually reminded him of how Atletico Madrid. He plays at Atletico Madrid. Really? Yeah. Uh, in fact, I don't think... I think some people are afraid that maybe he was sort of jabbing, taking a jab at Atletico. <laughs> but I don't think he meant it that way. It yeah. Was not seriously, because yeah. He, he said that Luxembourg defended heroically and organized exactly, and very tough yes. to break down. And True. so uh, I'd say that's ultimately high praise for Luxembourg in that yep. game. Impressive, man. You wouldn't expect it again, though. <laughs> no, no, no. And uh, what about I Turkey, hope... man? Turkey, Turkey, man. Turkey is. Uh... From what I remember, I haven't looked at it. Uh, since the last games, but uh, from what I remember, that group is tight. That group is uh, competitive. That group is also competitive. Um, a Turkey man, just to give you a little bit of insight, there has ha- been a lot of uh, uh, commotions lately. Now they have a new coach. You know right, who the yeah, new coach yeah. is? No, I don't know. Uh, Lucescu. Miria Lucescu. Okay. Come on, you know where it is. I do. He's a Romanian coach. Coach Chuck Donetsk. He's been coach for Galatasaray, Besiktas, or before too in his career, and had a lot of successes. I think he knows Turkish football well, and he's been a coach for many years. So he took recently over, and when he took over this team, it looked a little bit like our chance was gone. Mm. Um, but now, man, the hopes is back again. Hope is back. Croatia and Iceland are number one spot with 16 points. Iceland's back at it again. Oh, they man. haven't stopped. No, they don't. They don't. So they have 16 points. Then you have Turkey and Ukraine with 14 points. Yeah, that's close. Ukraine is coached by Andrei Shevchenko. And uh, it's basically four teams. Fighting for two both, spots. Two yeah. spots. Oh, that's right. And, and either team can still make that first place. They can as well. exactly. And if you, and Turkey won against Croatia, huge, big time, man, one zero, mm. and uh, that gave them this position, which they're still alive. Yeah. And like I said before, the two games left, and those two games looks like Turkey will play against Iceland. Be wary of the Iceland man. <sighs> Be wary of them. I know. Who's hosting? Do you know? Turkey is home. Okay. Okay. That might help. Let me see. But I mean... Yeah, we gotta be careful, man. But at home in Turkey, it's very hard to play. Yeah. And so Turkey plays against Iceland, which is like a final for us, right? And Ukraine will play against Croatia, which is a final between them. Yeah. So uh, just imagine Turkey wins against Iceland... And there is a draw between, uh, or or Ukraine wins against Croatia. Yeah. Turkey is on the first position. We make it direct. So, but still with one game left after that. Yeah. For the last round, it is between 
uh, Ukraine and Croatia, and yeah. Turkey plays away against Finland, which will be doable if we sure. are in that position that we can actually win the group. But the game against Iceland, man, Maybe. that is as important as Sweden's game against Netherlands yeah. Yeah. and as important as US, US against US... Panama, man. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and to have three teams in the World Cup. <laughs> uh, I like this because this shows that both in North America, CONCACAF, and in Europe, that each qualification round has its difficulties and its, I guess, not so difficulties, its yeah. easy points or whatever, but they're all different. But no matter how different they are, when it gets down to it, for all three of these teams, yeah. they have these crunch time moments that's pretty much the same. Yeah, uh, because like you said, right, we can look back and say we should have won this game. How could we lose or drop points against this team? Yeah. But now when it all starts to ripe up, we are nervous. <laughs> yeah, so nervous. Now I'm nervous thinking about it. I mean, for all three teams, big time. Yeah, big time, man. And it's gonna be exciting, man. We are paying tribute. We are commenting. We are criticizing, and we are praising a lot of players, current players. But also players that played in the 2000s and the 90s. But rarely in the soccer world, you really look back at the yeah. really greats. Yeah. We know the greats by the names and and who they are a little bit. But we don't really know what importance they had. Yeah. So on Ask Coaching King, occasionally, sometimes, we will have a segment where we look back at one of the best soccer players of all time that really changed the game that's right and you know currently while while i'm doing this podcast i also i attend school right yeah go to classes and one of my favorite classes i'm in right now is a history class oh and yes. of course it's like world history class uh going back thousands of years even uh soccer is a country well not going back that far mm-hmm. soccer is a sport that has a great storied and long history of its own right. So I think it's, this is something new for us, right? But I think this is, it's important that we remember, that fans remember. While maybe like the 90s or 2000s are what's most relevant to us. Yeah. Cause that's when we play yeah. or, or watch it and follow, keep up with it. I think it's important for people to recognize the, like you said, the true greats and the true growth of soccer throughout the decades and we have received a lot of emails and tweets and messages on facebook that from young listeners that really appreciate what we're doing about the current yeah topics and also giving them and our ideas also try to give them a little bit more historical perspective on who has been here before us? They need to be schooled. They need to be, need to be schooled. schooled. This yeah. is our Oz Cotton King history yeah. class. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I don't know when you will at graduate Oz Kotchen, at, from Oz Cotton King, King University. University. <laughs> but one day when you graduate, we will send you your diploma and you can proudly say that you have um, a history major in soccer, basically. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so when you look at history you see a 
clean and clear evolution. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you see the development throughout the years that led to today. You know what I mean? Like you can look at the constitution, right? Mm-hmm. And what what made that or the decisions back in the history how it affected today or affects right. today and the important people and what they did politically or the harms they done, how it is acted out today. Yes. And when you look at soccer history, do you think that most of the tricks, the techniques, and uh, the coaching and the styles today are based from history? It is. Yeah, for sure. You know? Absolutely. But we don't really know when all this happened, right? Like, do you know, for instance, when first bicycle that happened? Or mm. we all know Maradona, 360, the spin or the roulette, that Zinedine Zidane really made it famous, but it was an invention, basically, from Maradona. I think so. Yeah, and he probably saw it from someone else, Perhaps. and got the idea. Yeah, it's hard to sometimes it's hard to pinpoint exactly where things changed or where something started, right. both soccer history and world history. Yeah. But uh, I mean, you're right. I've heard so many different, multiple different. Take the bicycle kick you okay. mentioned, for example. I've heard yeah. multiple different stories. Yeah, stories or accounts of when the first bicycle. Everybody want to claim right? it, right? Exactly. It I was mean, me, actually. No. <laughs> <laughs> Going back to like the 30s or the 20s, it was like the first. No, this person did it. No, actually, it was this person yeah. in this country that did it, or this person, or or you know the like. Or Pele was the first one. And Pele, there's famous images of Pele doing bicycle yep. kicks when he played for the Cosmos. He I heard it was somewhere in Chile. Chile. I mean, so first history lesson, first fun fact. Yeah, I know. Yes, that a lot of people think that the first person to either do it or make it famous was a Chilean. It's contentious. The origins of the bicycle kick is contentious. Some people say it's from, it started in Brazil. Some people say it started in Chile. Some people say it in Peru. Perhaps a uh, one possible inventor of the bicycle kick was a Chilean named Ramon. Ramon, right? Ramon, Ramon Unzanga. Unzanga, Unzanga yeah. in the early 1900s. And therefore, because so many people, even whether it's him that first did it or after him, so many people thought it was Chileans that started it. A popular way to say bicycle kick in Spanish is La Chilena, mm. like a, the Chilean kick, the Chilean yeah. move. But Peruvians think that it started in Peru, so they have a different name for it. They don't call it the Chilena, they call it, they call it uh, La Chilaca. Mm. But, uh, so I mean, it's, it's tough to pinpoint exactly, and it's, it's, and also the name, right? Like, even uh, the name too. It's yeah. like um, a scissor kick. It looks like right. you're making a scissor in the air, and uh, or like the wheels of a bicycle. Exactly. So. Exactly. But the fun part, man. How do you start that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you even attempt that? Like, you have to definitely be creative. Yeah. And this sport is all about being creative. Mm. You know, it's fantasy. It's imagination. But to do a scissor kick. Man, you have to get a bad <laughs> crossing. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to get a bad crossing behind you. Yeah. That's number one rule in this case, <laughs> you know? And then you have to be really hungry for scoring goals. I know, willing to, you're willing to do pretty much anything. Anything. To turn that cross into a goal. And then one way or another, you have to be athletic. Yeah. But it's more than that, you know? It's, it's so much more timing 
technique. Yeah, right. And I mean, you said you have to be creative. You have to be inventive. Yeah. To think to do that. Exactly. I mean, a lot of people, that wouldn't be their first thought. <laughs> to, and you have to be so quick, quick thinking to, to, to pull that sort of skill off. And this is what I like, you know, like talking now, we would, we could say that Ramon was, uh, mm-hmm. ahead of his time or he was, uh, uh, smart or he was definitely more creative right. than maybe others right but i i would imagine when he did this like in 1916 and 1920s Copa america mm-hmm. he didn't think of himself being a super creative better than everyone else because he come came up with this but now looking back we understand that he he made a what a new way of shooting, mm-hmm. kicking the ball, maybe even scoring he or added, clearing. Added a whole new dimension, dimension to the game. Dimension to it, right? Yeah. So this is the interesting part where when we look back. We're looking back at, let's say, the foundation or very early on that got soccer that got soccer as popular as it is. Mm. It's like a People want to see, people want to be entertained. Yeah. Right? They want to see this sort of inventiveness and this sort of magic on the field. It's like they go to a soccer game almost as if they go to watch a, like a magician act oh, or something, yeah. right? They yes. want to be wowed. Yeah. Uh, so it's these sort of, not discoveries, but these sort of, I guess, creative moments of creative genius. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, that draw people to the game, especially in those early times. But yeah. even moving in in to the game nowadays, it people is. still people still want yeah. to be wowed, still want to be surprised on exactly. the field. So if we look the at the one of the early ones, who is the one that we want to talk about today? To some people, yes, they consider this player the godfather of football Ooh. geniuses. I know <laughs> of football legends of. A guy that was surely so ahead of his time, mm-hmm. surely so ahead of his time, inventive, creative, and just absolute legend yeah. to not only the teams he played for, but to just the game itself for yeah. what he meant to the game. And um, this person is one of the early ones that became like a top goal scorer. Yeah, and. Yeah. You knew that he would score basically every game that you went and watched. And he became one of the first players to become a idol and someone that is a role model. I mean, he was like Messi and Ronaldo before Messi and Ronaldo, really. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, 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 totally. And what he meant for the game, it's undescribable. What we would try to describe. We're talking about Alfredo Di Stefano. Excellent player, historical player for Real Madrid. Mm. We're talking about an era around 1950s, mostly. Into the 60s. Yeah, yeah. Well, and uh, Real Madrid were a rather big club, but weren't exactly like they are today. A lot of clubs weren't exactly like they are today. Some were bigger than they Mm -hmm. are now, some were smaller than they are now. when Di Stefano went to Real Madrid uh, in the early 50s, they actually hadn't won the league title in around two decades. Yeah. Which is unthinkable nowadays. Yeah, like, yeah? like 21 years. Yeah. 
that haven't won in 21 years, a club like Real Madrid, which uh, when he came, he changed everything. He's born in Argentina. Argentina. Argentina, Buenos Aires. <laughs> 1926. Started his early career in Argentina. Mm -hmm. With what is now uh, one of the biggest clubs in South America, legendary River Plate. Yes. Yeah. Uh, at a young age too at the age of 17 right mm. very young age he started to play for them and you know it's not like 2,000 people comes to these games it's still a lot of people that come oh, yeah. you know the stadiums are still packed. big and packed even more packed often than they are nowadays exactly yes right. it's true it's true um, so there's a lot of pressure for a young kid but especially in a football crazy country like Argentina um, but He's fit in well. He went on to form one of our, sorry, one of River Plate's greatest generations in the, mm. around the, during the 40s. Um, uh, and it seemed like this kid was going to become, well, like he's still young, he was going to become a real, real superstar of the game. And the predictions were right. He, he left Argentina after a big strike from the players. Uh, majority of the players couldn't get paid really yeah yeah and i guess you know i mean it's the way the league was at the time i guess they it was a struggle for a lot of teams to play a lot of their pay a lot of their players uh the league was very buenos aires heavy centric mm -hmm. so a lot of the clubs from outside the capital were maybe struggling financially and as a result, like I said, a lot of players left. Yeah. They left in order to, for them to get paid. Yeah. Uh, what did they seek? They went to nearby Colombia. Colombia. Which... <laughs> Are you looking at me like that? I mean, it's surprising, right? Like, you, you go from uh, Argentina to Colombia. But uh, Colombia had, at the time, a lot of uh, players from also other South American yeah, countries. Right. Yeah. Brazil... Chile, Peru. There were and a lot of big players too. Too, yeah. A lot of big players from around around the continent, including Di Stefano. Yeah. And they went and they all enjoyed their time there. They went and would you know, pretty much form the Colombian League, which wasn't a part of FIFA at the time. Um, they would pretty much make that league a very strong and successful league. That's correct. And. A lot of the players there, including Di Stefano, would form uh, or would forge a a really successful time there. Strong teams. Colum uh, Di Stefano playing for the Bogota-based club Millonarios, mm. and they were dominant there, dominant at the time. He have also played for the national team for yes. Argentina. Yes, and actually a couple of games for Colombia. Mm. Uh, like just this, six games. Yeah, this was also a time, a different time when yeah. pretty much I think whenever, as long as you're either a citizen or even if you're just living in that country or maybe they just wanted you and True. they offered you True. a spot, you could go play for their national team even though you may barely live there. You <laughs> just want to play for a country. That's right. right? That's right. <laughs> and, uh, but in his uh, career, he really played for Spain. And how come? After that successful time with Millonarios. Alfredo Di Stefano uh, sought adventures in Europe, and a couple clubs actually came calling. 
a couple of clubs that we know of now today. Uh, small club like Barcelona and small clubs like Real Madrid. You know? Yeah. They're just, like, you know. They're like <laughs> sending a letter to him. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so these clubs actually wanted his services. And there's a bit of actually controversy with who he signed for. Agreed that he would go to Real Madrid. But then there's also uh, apparently talks that he had agreed and River Plate had agreed since he I think was still was still technically part of River Plate at the yeah. time uh, and River that he and River Plate had agreed to go to send him to Barcelona so there was there was controversy there and if you play for Barcelona or Real Madrid two rivals uh, <laughs> and I know that they they were gonna come up with some sort of agreement like have him something that's unheard of nowadays but have him play the first year for Real Madrid and then play the second year for Barcelona and then go back to Real Madrid and just alternate back and forth, right? That would be wild. <laughs> it would be crazy. Yeah. Barcelona wanted nothing of it and they backed out and he was all for Madrid, all for Real. And a la Madrid, huh? A la Madrid. And I think it's safe to say that they, Real Madrid that is, uh, appreciate <laughs> the time he spent with them. I mean, the the impact he had is that he brought something new to the game. Like, when you watch the games from 1950s and the 60s, and there are. You can go on YouTube, you can look <laughs> they for... They exist. They exist. <laughs> there are, it's there amazing to watch these then. black and white uh, old soccer games. Yeah, I do it every now and then. It's pretty fun. It's fun, right? It's fun to compare it to how it was nowadays, or how it is nowadays. And you see that Stefano is doing flicks, you know, back heel passes. Right, yeah. He's um, everywhere on the pitch, though. Ah, that's true. He's not restricted to one area or anything. Mm -mm. He's doing whatever he can to get the ball. Exactly. He doesn't really have a position. He just in the back, he's on the right, he's on the left, he's everywhere on the pitch. You can think of that's like that nowadays. It could work too. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it sounds a lot like someone like Lionel Messi to me, right? Yeah, just floating around, yeah. giving that sort of free roll, coming down, getting the ball. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes he'll pop up in the middle. Sometimes he'll be on the right. It was this one fine video I watched with Stefano that the Real Madrid midfielder has the ball, dribbles, and Stefano comes all the way down and just, <laughs> just takes the ball from him. Like there's no one near him, he just goes down and gets the ball from him, basically. <laughs> And I think the uh, uh, I remember that video. The the midfielder too just his teammate just take it fine. Sure. <laughs> yeah, he fine. wasn't gonna argue or anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, he played for Real Madrid eleven years. Nice long long time between nineteen fifty three and nineteen sixty four. That's a long dedicated time. He did two hundred eighty two league games for Real Madrid and scored 216 goals mm. like 216 mm. goals you know what i mean it's it's unbelievable for any player to have that many goals and he's yeah. he's, he's especially in such few i mean you may get 216 goals or so in 400 or 500 games exactly even that's 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 still pretty good let's count what that percentage is Oh man, that's the math. Two hundred. I'm glad you're doing the math and <laughs> not me. <laughs> uh, two hundred sixteen divided two eighty two. Point seven 
six. That's like nearly a goal a game. Three quarters of a goal a game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you look, if you think about time wise, right? So, and that's a really good percentage. Absolutely, it's phenomenal. Yeah, phenomenal. And like I said, nowadays, I mean, that many goals in twice as many games, but to do it nearly a goal a game. Really, at the moment, you just have Ronaldo and Messi that do that. Yeah, they can't keep up with that. Exactly. And that's there. That's still unbelievable once you see Ronaldo and Messi do it. So, to have this definitely do this back then in the 50s. And, I mean, there are actually, uh, more fun fact, others that do this occasionally. I know a player that you know about. Maybe we'll talk about him later. But Absolutely. Gunnar Nordahl yes. for AC Milan around yeah. this time, yeah? Yeah. I think, I believe, a similar sort of record yeah. with goals. Revolution, man. It is. It like, uh, won so many uh, top scoring with a lot of goals at Milan. Uh, Why do you think that some of these players were able to get the amount of goals that they were? Partially just because they're phenomenal players. But also, do you think maybe the way he tactics were the way defending was at the time is definitely different than how it is now. I mean I think it was uh, it's definitely the team true you know I think yeah. that team was definitely way more better than other teams okay like I don't know what other teams were playing in, in the Spanish league other than Barcelona I mean just play with the idea uh, did you have like Deportivo La Coruña mm. I don't really think they had that great players mm. as Stefano, Puskas, Pacin, uh, these players. Mm. But what made them that great, I think it was that they started at a young age and they started as dedicated to become soccer players. You had a generation of uh, some do it full-time, want to do it full-time and really practice hard for full-time while you have maybe even the half or even more than half are also working on the side or doing uh-huh. other things sure. you know and uh, sounds similar to nowadays right like the ones that really succeed are the ones that dedicate their time early early on right early um, on yes yes which yeah. is not easy thing to do either no. when we have so much pressure from going to school we need to go to college or right uh, other stuff like that like going to school and college or and having a job at an early age was much more important during the 40s and 50s yeah. than it is now. Nowadays, seeing as with the growth of soccer and as important that the sport has become, a lot of people rely, even a lot of parents may rely on their on their kids, not just rely, but really hope and really wish for their kids to form good professional soccer careers. But, I mean, today is also very hard to get into the soccer True, yeah. career. Yeah. And... Uh, if you don't have a if you don't have an education, then it's also like screwed, unfortunately, today's society. Yeah. Um, but what happened when Di Stefano came to Real Madrid? You mentioned that they haven't won a title in twenty one right, years. Right. Uh, they won. <laughs> <laughs> they won once he got there, and not just one, but once the Stefano got to Real Madrid. He, what people think of Real Madrid nowadays, mm-hmm. really, as you know, this team with a lot of money, buying the best players, yes. always demanding success. I mean, they just have, they just won two Champions Leagues in a row, which is more than anyone else with, uh, what, how many they have? 12 mm-hmm. Champions League titles. 
um, more than anybody else, more La Liga titles than anybody else. That image. Sort of, that image, yeah. That, that image, image, that perception of Real Madrid wouldn't be what it is today without what Di Stefano did at Real. Because not only did they just win that one title to end the 21-year right. drought, but they go on to win title after title after title, a total of eight La Liga titles. Wow. Uh, in his 11 years there. Right. Yeah. So, um, but that wasn't just the league either. Something else was starting up. Another tournament was starting up at it that was. time. It was. Before we get there, let's talk about, before we get there, let's talk about other big players that praising you. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, like, uh, when Ibrahimovic is saying that Messi is the best player mm-hmm. ever or he played with, it comes from a player like Ibrahimovic. And back then, one one other big player was Sir Bobby Charlton. Mm. And let's hear what Sir Bobby Charlton had to say about Stefano. Pelle is the most naturally gifted. Maradona could, could claim to be the best player the world's ever seen. But whenever I'm asked, I always say, if I had to be anybody playing as, in another career, it would be Alfredo Di Stefano. I remember watching him from up in the terraces once, and I was I was looking down. I thought, who is that? Who is that man? That's he's got the ball all the time. You know, he takes it from the goalkeeper, the fullbacks, the midfield. He, it everything's happening around him. And it's clearly, even here, you know what I mean? This is what stood out in these players that you talked about. Mm. They were winners. They were champions. They were acting like it. They were they wanted it. And they did everything they could to be a winner. And like Sir Bobby Charlton explains, uh, Stefano was a winner. And uh, that's the actually core, historically, to... A soccer player, a soccer club, and to this game. And when you look at Stefano at Real Madrid, they won five European titles. That's right, the first five. The first five European titles of a brand new, uh, brand new tournament called the European Cup. Woo, champions! <laughs> now the Champions League. Yeah, and I mean. We just said how Real Madrid won two Champions League in a row. The Champions League era, right? Which is unheard of. And we've talked about that before on the show. But for Real Madrid to have won the first five European Cups in a row is... ah, Speechless. I mean, (laughs) speechless in the sense that try to understand the magnitude of it, right? Right. Try to understand the magnitude of it. Like, players, people from Africa, Asia, the entire world that knows about soccer, hears about, um, hears about Real Madrid's success. Yeah. And it's not, media is not as wide as today. Right. But the, the glimpses of soccer news they're getting is the domination Absolutely. of Real Madrid for years. Absolutely right. And I mean... Th- these other players from the rest of Spain or Portugal or Africa or South America, yeah. Mexico, wherever, players that would become little kids that would become legends in their own right. Yeah. Players like Eusebio, oh. Sandra Mazzola, yeah. who around this time would dominate European soccer, European football. 
look up to, they see the the dominance of Real Madrid, and mm-hmm. they see Alfredo Di Stefano, La Sayeta Rubio, Blonde Arrow. And, what a nickname! And they idolize him. They yes. idolize him. They see him at, at the forefront, and they they this guy is like a a, a god among men. Almost. Exactly. Yeah. They dream about being like him one day. Yeah. They're dreaming about growing up and play big games and score important goals like Stefano paid the way for them and you mentioned Isubio who is uh, looks like you a little bit come on you say that all the time (laughs) (laughs) you look like him but actually kind of a little bit yeah (laughs) you actually look like a little bit like him I mean that's a compliment man he was a handsome handsome guy maybe I am him uh, incarnated. incarnated yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he was a great player for Portugal, one of the best players of all time as well. And his story about Stefano is something that is definitely worth listening to. Back in Africa, we'd always dreamed about playing Real Madrid. We'd heard of them, winners of the European Cup, and of course, to Stefano, my hero. Playing against Eusebio's Benfica. One of the things I remember most from that final was that I asked Stefano if I could have his shirt. I said, Sir, could I please have your shirt? As back in Africa, my father and brothers always said what a great player you were. So I'd like to have your shirt. Eusebio, the young African sensation, scored twice as Benfica won 5-3. But for him, the star of the show played for Real Madrid. And at the end of the game, he gave me a shirt. So even when we'd won the game and we'd won the European Cup, the most important thing for me was the shirt. I mean, we've heard Eusebio and his words on on Di Stefano. We've heard Bobby Charlton and his words on Di Stefano. We know that so many people... We've been talking about Di Stefano yes. crazy, and we know that so many people around the world, especially around that time, but even those that remember him nowadays, uh, see Di Stefano as a true icon for not just you know, Real Madrid, but for the game itself. But... One thing that struck me is I've seen talk interviews with Di Stefano where he speaks about what he thinks when he hears all these other people saying, I am the person that started Real Madrid's dominance or Mm -hmm. something like that. And it's interesting. I mean, a lot of soccer players have egos, right? Right. That's one thing that's so impressive when you get Bobby Charlton and Eusebio and all these other players to say that with massive egos themselves to praise you. That's such a big deal. But Di Stefano himself was certainly in his eyes, wasn't the one that started hmm. that started this perception of Real Madrid. He wasn't the one behind everything. He really has to thank his teammates, all the fans, all the, the club staff around him, which I think, I just think is really remarkable, really nice. You think we can find that interview? Nah, I don't think we can find it. <laughs> no. So you're saying that he was a very humble person. Yeah. What you see in a lot of players today when they have the interviews, right? Sure. I mean, I think Messi is quite humble. I think that's a very 
that's what a lot of people when they see Messi, they yeah. see his as you know a bit more reserved or humbleness. True. Uh, and you hear others as well. You hear like Thierry Henry, Neymar, Ibrahimovic, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'm not necessarily that Di Stefano is the first person to be humble, but but uh, the way he conducted himself off the field, off the pitch, was a truly professional way. Okay. In a true professional manner. Okay. I'm curious if we can find that interview that you talked about. I know this video of when Di Stefano is in his older years. Not, not too not too long ago, maybe okay. several years ago or so. Um, where like eighty plus? Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Exactly. Eighty um, plus, Ben. And looking back, huh? I know. <laughs> but he's you know where he's talking about how video translated of course through a translator uh where he's talking about his 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 thoughts on what people see of him and how much like i said how much the teammates how much the people around him really Mm -hmm. helped build him up and really helped build up the club as well not just him well i never considered myself a star i always thought of myself as a football player a professional i knew that the ball just wasn't there waiting for me if i didn't have it i'd go and look for it i just worked hard i had a certain will to win and team spirit that's what my game was all about I don't consider myself the most important player of Real Madrid's history. I've always played for the team, but I've been lucky to play as a centre-forward, and the centre-forward is the man who scores the goals. And people always admire the player who scores the goals, but this player has achieved that thanks to the efforts of the defence. That's how things happen. You have to be a good person to succeed. Well, I can't complain really, despite my old age, I'm still here, alive and kicking and talking to you. I should thank the fans for that and obviously someone above us all. He's the one I should thank. I heard Alfredo Di Stefano a lot. Every time it was like a El Clasico or it was even a big signing for Real Madrid. Yeah. You heard Di Stefano, you saw him in the player presentation. Always there, right? He was always there in the background. He was always mentioned and paying tribute to him. Club has really kept that part of history as a DNA for today's. Can I say that? Is that does that make sense? And every club does it, right? They they have when you go to the stadiums or the museums, mm-hmm. they have a look back at the history yeah. and the important oh, I players. Love I love to have it, and they it gives, like you said, it gives a image that 
the club is trying to keep. Right. And uh, what were the commentators saying back then? And we got, we found this after a little bit of research, a game between England against the world. Yeah, pretty much. England versus the rest of the world, right? Yeah, what an amazing thing, though. They do this every now and then. I mean, I, I think they used to do it a lot more often than they do now. Sometimes you see it for charity games or so. Yeah. Right? Kind of like you see, like, Neymar and Friends versus Ronaldo and Friends or something. True. Kaká and Friends. R- Ronaldo or, versus uh, Zidane. Exactly, right. Yeah. So, uh, or it'll be like... There's something new going on now, which is, like, five aside. Yeah, I've seen this. Which is brilliant, man. <laughs> like, like players, you know, you have uh, you have brilliant players for France, England, Brazil right. playing against each other a five-a-side game. Yeah, which... I've, I've seen those. Those are excellent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but this sort of thing happened a lot more often, I think, back in the day. And yeah, England often was at the center of it. And you had this one game, right? With yeah. England versus the rest of the world. Di Stefano, captain, captain of the rest of the world team. You could tell the Wembley crowd were excited. And not just the crowd, but the players and the commentators themselves were excited to see the man himself. True, true. Yeah. The blonde arrow. Yeah. Let's give you these unique audios from the com- commentator speaking about Stefano, a few glimpses of his glory. And it's Zaraka. Canario. And completely unmarked. Zinder coming back to cover it now. Do it. Del Sol. Del Sol to Canario. And it's only second it again. And they're beginning to see now the vintage Real Madrid. The sort of football that has made them the greatest club side the world has ever known. Now, Zaraka. It's a beatdown. Del Sol, number six, Zaraka. Now it's Pushkas. And there's Hinto moving tremendously fast. And don't stop it. Jack Mars having a word with the linesman to see whether it's a penalty or not. It is a penalty. And it's Ferenc Pushkas going to take it. Four goals to one. Six goals to two for Real Madrid. Now it is Stefano. It's always better when he moves. Stefano, after after his career, he got into coaching, and uh, he coached a lot of teams. He also coached yeah. uh, Real Madrid twice, and Valencia, mm-hmm. and, and got some got some good trophies with them. He he always described that it wasn't the same to be a coach and a player. As a player, he really loved to be creative and more free and he described coaching almost like you have to control 
a lot of chicks at the same time. You have to make them happy. You have to please them. You know, chicks as in like baby, baby chickens. I thought it was like girls, man. <laughs> <laughs> and which is the same, basically, right? But it's very clear to say that he changed the game. Yeah. Not only did he change the game, but he stayed a part of the game, remained a part of the game throughout his life, really. He made the sport bigger than it was. He influenced a lot of great players. He introduced a lot of new moves. He scored unbelievable goals. And he gave us the entertainment and the joy that every soccer fan wants. And it's important to realize who are the main players that give this type of extraordinary performances yeah and even though we look back we pay tribute right now and we thank everything he did and may his soul rest in peace we really appreciate with this said to this weekend turn on the tv watch the games watch the big players even though it's not might be your team that you support, it is a beauty to watch. Because one day we will sit here and speak about them as important as Stefani was to the game. I know that as a World Cup player, <laughs> European Championship winner, Champions League coach, who are you talking about? I'm talking about you. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. But I know that as... World Cup winner. No. <laughs> that as... Um, uh, I know that as... As games come and go, as world, rounds of World Cup qualifying pass and the next ones begin, and as eventually the World Cup itself begins, World Cup this culmination of soccer skill the peak of soccer entertainment that I'll be looking forward to seeing the mark of Alfredo Di Stefano in each game you think you can see his ghost? in a way sort of his spirit is still there exactly yeah certainly as long as Real Madrid go Di Stefano goes Fuck Real Madrid. (laughs) His spirit is still there. The energy is still around. Like like the memory from me skipping class to go and watch a turkey game and see Hassan Shashko and those two weird calls against Turkey gave a mark to gave mark on me to pursue my dreams and pursue my goals. And we're sure that this coming World Cup with Sweden, with Turkey, and with United States of America, we will have more memories to share with you. Thank you for listening to the fourth episode of. No? So thank you, listen for. No. So thank you for listening to the Oscotch and King Soccer Podcast Show. Podcast Show.